I love singing with my family, <clears throat> especially because they do a great job of making me look better. I need all the help I can get. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. I appreciate that. Acts chapter number 8, as you turn there this evening, I just want to say thank you, Mountain Avenue, for uh, your hospitality, uh, just uh, your friendliness. I commented to Pastor at lunch today how friendly uh, you were, and uh, you probably think we say that at every church, but we can tell you that we don't. Uh, we've traveled all over the country. We've been in probably close to somewhere at least 100 churches in the last two and a half years. And uh, sadly, not every church is friendly. And even to guests or missionaries that are expected, and I'm not, I'm not trying to say this to down, I'm saying it as a great job, keep it up, Mountain Avenue. Uh, because not every church we go in, people are like, oh, it's so good to see you. Sometimes <laughs> uh, we feel like a burden. And as a missionary, you kind of do anyway. But uh, nonetheless, I just want to compliment you, as I did to your pastor already, saying how much uh, we so enjoyed speaking with many of you after the service and how friendly uh, you were and inviting. And I think that has to do much with what pastor was talking about this morning, how God continues to see this church move forward. Uh, because an unfriendly church is one that is not welcoming. I mean, let's face it. When you stop being welcoming to those that come as visitors, whether missionaries or people in the community, uh, it will be a struggle for people to want to stay, won't it? Uh, you know, if, you, uh, if we all acted sometimes the way that we have been to some church, I'm not saying we've been treated badly. We've been treated wonderfully, all of deputation. I don't have any horror stories like some missionaries do. I'm just saying... Uh, we have to make sure that we're always on the ball as believers to be welcoming uh, to people because we never know if that may be the one service that they come to and they get saved. And uh, we don't want to give them a sour look or a sour face and them say, I don't ever want to go back to that church. Big Bear Baptist Church, I mean, they're a bunch of angry people. I mean, that pastor, he's ugly and angry. So, you know, I don't want to be like that. And so thank you. I, I really just want to highly compliment you. That is so wonderful. As a as an assistant pastor for seven and a half years, I've never pastored a church, but I can tell you uh, it is refreshing. And we have been to a number of churches, and, and as I continue to say some of those things, I want to add uh, that, I, can I just encourage you, one of the things that God has helped me with as we've traveled is that we're not alone in this fight. Sometimes, and really so many times, we feel like Elijah did on that mountain where he says before all the people, King Ahab, uh, uh, the king and, uh, and, the, and the prophets of Baal and the prophets of the grove and, and all the people of Israel, he says, I, even I only. Later on we find out a couple chapters later that God says, hang on a second, Elijah, there's uh, thousands that have not bowed the knee to Baal. And I think in our culture, in our country, if we're not careful, we'll think we're the only ones doing it. Because I know as an assistant pastor of a good church in eastern North Carolina, there were times when I think, man, we must be the only ones doing it this way. We must be the only ones doing it right. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> and God has reminded me of that and helped me and encouraged me uh, to really, I think, as a part of uh, us being in Big Bear, that we're not alone in this fight for the Lord. We're not alone in His service. There are people all over this world that are doing exactly what we're doing here tonight uh, on their day of service on Sundays and throughout the middle of the week and wherever they are, trying to be a witness and testimony of God and what He's done in their life. And so tonight, I want to speak on this, uh, uh, this subject. The title of the message is this. It's very simple, The Power of Salvation. I hope it will be a reminder message to all of us of what God has done in your life and in mine when He saved you. If you're here tonight and not know Christ, or you're listening online and not, not know Christ as your Savior, can I challenge you tonight to listen very attentively? I want to give the gospel very clearly, but as believers, I want to remind us what God has done through the power of salvation. 
Uh, as we sang the song, uh, Down from His Glory, what a wonderful reminder to think of what God did by coming uh, down from this, His glory in heaven to save, oh, wretched, sinful man. Aren't you thankful for a God that loved us first before we ever loved Him? Aren't you thankful for a God tonight, believer, uh, that told you you don't have to do anything to be saved? You just simply had to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. That is a promise. And God keeps His promises. He always has and always will. And so as we look in these first four verses of Acts chapter 8, and then we're going to jump over to Acts chapter 9 and finish the rest of the message. But Acts chapter number 8, uh, starting in verses 1 through 4, I want to read those, then we'll pray and start preaching the message. And Saul was consenting unto his death, and at that time there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Notice there in 8.1 was the fulfillment of Acts chapter 1.8, where the Bible said, You shall receive power, and after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, you shall be witnesses to me. Acts chapter 8, 1, it took persecution for the disciples and the children of God to actually do what God told them to do. Go. Go into all the world. And, and it took persecution. There in 8, 1, uh, we find that persecution came and they went everywhere. Verse 2, and devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. Oh, I wish we had the time uh, tonight to read the preaching message that Stephen preached in chapter 7. Uh, I mean, he just got right to it. Verse number three, for as for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering in every house and hailing men and women, committed them to prison. Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. Father, help me as I preach tonight. Help me to be faithful and true to you and to your word. Help me to say that which would be pleasing to you, which would be helpful to the hearer. And Lord, I know ultimately you promise your word will not return void. And I thank you for that. I pray you'd use me today, tonight, and in a way that only you can. Thank you for the message this morning from Pastor. Lord, I pray that you would bring people back home, back home to you, back to this church. Lord, back to serving you like they once did. And Lord, just help them to get past their pride. Really, that's what it takes, I'm convinced. Lord, just help them to get past that or maybe even their fear of what may take place. Or Lord, just help us to trust you. Lord, help us to believe you. Help us to know that you have what's best for us in our lives. And uh, Lord, when you, we follow you, it is always great. But Lord, when we don't, it is always marked by failure and trials and problems. And so I pray, Lord, that you'd work in our lives tonight. Lord, if there's someone here who does not know Christ as their Savior or watching online tonight, Lord, please convict them of their sin, their need for Christ, and their need to be saved tonight. Help them to do that. If you'd saved tonight, thank you for this one. As Pastor mentioned, I got saved this last week. What a wonderful a thing it is to see the new birth of a new believer. Lord, I pray for us as believers to never forget what you saved us from and what you saved us to. Thank you for loving us when we were unlovely. Thank you for loving us and sending Christ to die on the cross for our sins so that we could be saved. For it's in his name we ask. Amen. I would like to tell you just a brief story of a girl who once regretted breaking her engagement. She wrote this letter, Dearest Tommy, no words could ever express the great unhappiness I felt since breaking our engagement. Please say you'll take me back. No one could ever take your place in my heart, so please forgive me. I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. Yours forever, Marie. P.S. Congratulations on winning the state lottery. You know, tonight I want to look at the change that takes place in a person's life after salvation. Not the kind of this lady who... Uh, was superficial. 
but an eternal change because of what God has done in your life and for you. You see, God did not send His Son Christ to die for us to be the same people we were before salvation. He saved us to be different afterwards. And we, He didn't die so we could live to our lives so the same way. He didn't extend a salvation to us so that after salvation nothing would change. No, God sent His Son so that our lives would be different. And He saved us to bring glory to His name. He saved us so we could tell others about what He did for them. And if you're here and you don't know Christ as your Savior, let me help you with something. You don't have to make yourself worthy of salvation. None of us are. And I'm thankful that we didn't have to do that. I've ran into so many people that said, well, once I get my life right, then I'll come back to church and I'll, and I'll get my life right with God. No, listen, God takes you as you are, where you are, and wants to change you from the inside out. You see, when you're changed from the inside out, then the outside gets changed by the inside, which means that when you're saved, He does the work of changing all those terrible habits and all those things that you shouldn't do, that you're trying to do on your own, that you can't. Because you didn't have the power to do it. Before salvation, you were hopeless and helpless and you were lost and you had no Holy Spirit to give you the power. Listen, I lived a life for 27 years as a religious person. And when I read this Bible, when I read about those religious people in the Gospels and even in Acts, uh, the Pharisees and the scribes, the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, all those religious people who knew all the Old Testament better than probably most people did at that time, and I read about those people and I think, how could they do that? How could they know all these things and miss Jesus who was literally right in front of them? And then I remember myself. And I say, I'm the same person. I was religious and lost. I attended church just like this for all my life. My parents had gotten saved out of Catholicism, praise the Lord, about two years before I was born. And so when I came to this world, my parents were already going to a good Bible-believing Baptist church, and I'm so thankful for that. Because I was raised in church. We were there all the time, Pastor. Every service you could possibly think of, and even times when there wasn't church, we were there. I mean, my dad had, five, uh, had six boys, and so we were like the moving crew for church. Whenever somebody needed to move, the Elwert family would go do it. Whenever there was chairs or tables that needed to be moved, uh, the Elwerts were there. We were there for everything, and I don't regret one minute of it. I'm so thankful for it. Why? Because even though I was religious and lost, God was building a foundation that one day when he saved me when I was 27, all of those things made sense and had purpose. You see, I lived a life of religion for so many years, and it wasn't until I got saved at 27 that God changed my life and all those things I had read and heard about in this book finally started meaning something. They finally started having effect on my life. Why? Because the Holy Spirit would shine that flashlight, right? He would illuminate my understanding. And He would show me, Jackie, look at this. You never saw that before because you didn't have my help. And I began to understand amazing things. And when I think about the Apostle Paul, who once was so excuse me, once with Saul, and we're going to talk about him tonight. Listen, we didn't have to make ourselves worthy of salvation. And so uh, first I want us to see, number one, that Saul was a persecutor. We saw that in these first four verses. Uh, the church, the early church, the disciples, and all those that were gathered there uh, in the, uh, during the day of Pentecost, and all those things that happened in, in early Acts 1 through uh, 7, and uh, it took persecution. And Saul was really the catalyst that pushed the people out of Jerusalem. To really, he, he was the catalyst that, that pushed the people to do exactly what God had already told the believers to do. And we need that sometimes, don't we? We need kind of a shove to say, hey, get up off your seat and start doing something for me. 
And Saul was a persecutor. I mean, he was a, he was a wicked man. He was not really a simple bystander of persecution. No, Saul was deeply involved in it. The Bible says that in Acts 1, he was consenting unto the death of Stephen. Remember, uh, those men that were throwing stones at Stephen, killing him, were the ones that were throwing him at the feet of, uh, at the feet of Saul. And here we have Saul consenting unto Stephen's death. There was great persecution. And look at what it says in verse 3. For as for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committed them to prison. I mean, Paul was going into people's houses and taking them to prison for what? Believing in Jesus and spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ in Jerusalem. Look at verse 4. Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. And so once they found that out, they started trying to go hide a little bit, but they were telling about Jesus as they went. Even more, I would argue this. Listen, that Saul was not only threatening the Christians, but I believe he's having them killed. Look at Acts chapter number 9. Starting in verse number 1, we see that the Bible says, And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples, the Lord went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound into Jerusalem. I don't know that he had people killed. I, I wonder if he did. He certainly wanted to have them killed, and so he would have done anything that he could have to have Christians killed. But you know what happened? He met Jesus. I'm reminded of this story. Just before Easter in 2009, there was a pastor by the name of Fred Winters. He pastored First Baptist Church in Maryville, Illinois, and Southern Baptist Church, and and back in 2009, that Easter uh, time frame, just before he was shot and killed uh, during a Sunday morning service, uh, a young man of about 27 years old uh, came down the center aisle, and uh, the pastor didn't know who he was, and he came up to the pastor, and, and then next thing you know, the guy takes out a gun from under a bulletin, as the eyewitnesses say, and he shoots the pastor, and actually the first round went through his Bible, and they say it looked like confetti. And the people of the church thought this was some kind of skit, and the pastor, as that happened, started to run away and said, this is real, it's real, and uh, runs to the side of the platform. The guy follows him and, and gets off two more rounds, and uh, the fourth shot, I believe it was, uh, actually shot him right through the heart, and he died. A couple other people that came by uh, came and uh, tried to stop the guy who ended up, after having the gun, and it jammed. He had a knife, and so he started, the, I've read a couple different reports. One says that he was stabbing himself. Uh, but while these other guys came, he stabbed them. And, and so two other people ended up uh, having some injuries. Uh, but he ended up trying to kill himself, and he ended up living. But I find this uh, very interesting. It, of course, the tragedy uh, shocked the church and the pastor's family, but it did not destroy their faith. And the next week, uh, the newly widowed Cindy Winters was interviewed on a national news broadcast. And when asked about her husband's killer, she said this, I do not have any hatred or even hard feelings toward him. We've been praying for him. One of the first things my daughter said to me after this happened was, you know, I, I hope that he comes to learn to love Jesus through all of this. We are not angry at all, and we really firmly believe that he can find hope and forgiveness and peace through this by coming to know Jesus, and we hope that that happens for him. You know, I think of that story, and I think, wow, what a terrible tragedy. Uh, but as I've read different articles about that, I have seen where uh, some have said some amazing things have come from it. And uh, certainly we never know all of the tragedies uh, that happen in this life or in this world, uh, what God is going to use them for or how he's going to use them, but certainly he has a purpose. And uh, we have here that Saul was this wicked man who was uh, just terrorizing the new believers there. 
I mean, if you look in the first seven chapters of Acts, the church was growing so rapidly. Thousands were being saved. I mean, not just like 3,000 at one time. There were thousands after that that were being saved. And, and God was trying to help them understand they needed to go spread. But Saul was really kind of used of God before he was saved and didn't even know it. But with the beauty of this message tonight, I believe, or the story of Saul, is what God did to this persecutor. And though Easter is ultimately a time of triumph, it, it certainly did not start out that way, did it? It started with what appeared to be the worst possible defeat, that is, the death of Christ on the cross. Satan certainly must have thought he had done it. I finally did it. I killed this one who is supposed to save mankind, but you see, God's plans are not our plans. And certainly, uh, Jesus' mother, Mary, and his disciples that were there around uh, never would have imagined that when Jesus was talking about having to be crucified for their sins, I certainly don't think that they actually really believed it. I think there's indication in the Gospels that teaches that, actually. And so uh, there, it wasn't necessarily the thought. In fact, what were the Jews looking for? They were looking for a militant king. They were looking for somebody to free them from the bondage of Rome and the, and the Roman Empire. Instead, they got a meek king, one who had strength under control, one who came with a different purpose than to take some physical ground. Instead, he was coming to win the greatest spiritual victory of all time. Jesus was going to give his life on the cross of Calvary so all those people that mocked and ridiculed uh, God for all of eternity, all of time past since the days of Adam and Eve until he comes again, he came to die for all of them. God's plans are not our plans and he uses difficulties and disappointments to accomplish some of his greatest work. And in the darkness, when we cannot see him, he is still in control. You see, Paul endured a great deal of hardship and persecution for his faith, yet despite all that, he wrote in Romans 8, 28, as Pastor mentioned this morning, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose. And man, I often wonder if Paul didn't think back to that time when he's writing this down, this verse, Romans 8, 28, did he often think back to how God was even using him as a sinful, unsaved, wretched, wicked man for his glory. You see, God works all things together for good. We know he works together, all things together for good, and the promise specifically is to them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose, and God did save Paul and uh, changed him. What a story. You see, but Saul was even worse than this man who killed this one pastor. Saul wreaked havoc in the church. He was in every house, and I'm telling you, he would have been somebody that you would probably not want to be around. Could you ever imagine what he would have looked like today? I don't know. I kind of have a picture in my mind of what he looked like. Um, the best I could kind of come up with in my era is like, could you imagine if Osama bin Laden, he made it to U.S. soil before he was killed and, and uh, made it to U.S. soil and started persecuting churches. I mean, in my, in my lifetime, he's kind of... You know, he's kind of up there. I've been to Iraq. I was there for six and a half months in the Marine Corps. I've uh, been to many of the places. Saddam uh, Hussein uh, uh, just ruled harshly over his people, but I think bin Laden was worse. And I've often wondered, would, would Paul have been similar to that? I mean, could you imagine if bin Laden was alive and he walked in here tonight with some of his gang of Al-Qaeda terrorists? I mean, all I got is a knife. I hope I'm allowed to have that. I didn't even think about that. I shouldn't say it. Scratch that from the live stream. I used to carry a gun, but I don't have my permit in here in California. But, you know, we'd uh, all be like a little bit, uh, this is, Pastor, did you invite him? Like, did you say he could come? 
I mean, what's he doing here? Saul went into every people's houses, and I mean, he just he wreaked havoc, the Bible says. I could spend a lot of time describing, but I hope you're getting a somewhat of a picture of what Saul was like. I hope you have one in your mind. Saul was a rick, uh, wicked, wretched, terrible man, and he was supposed to be religious. Think about it. When Jesus was doing all these miracles, when we have the record there of the Gospels, who were the ones that hated him the most? The religious people. Isn't it amazing that those religious people were the ones that buddied up with King Herod, who they hated? Why? For the Bible says for the purpose of getting rid of Jesus, having him killed. The second thing we see, look at verse number 3, Saul was then pardoned. He was a persecutor, but then Saul was pardoned. The Bible says in verse 3, as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven, and he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? The Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go to the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And the man which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were open, he saw no man. And they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was there, excuse me, and he was three days without sight, and neither did he eat or drink. There was a certain disciple of Damascus named Ananias. And to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias, he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. That's a great answer for a believer to have. When God speaks to you, Lord, I'm here. What can I do for you? Verse 11, the Lord said unto him, Arise. Go into, the street, which is called street, uh, go into the street, which is called straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For, behold, he prayeth. Has seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming and putting his hand on him, that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, just like every one of us would have. Lord, I've heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem, and there he hath authority from the chief priests to bind all that call on thy name. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered in the house, and putting his hands on him said what? Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, hath sent me, that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes, as it had been, scales and he received sight forthwith and rose and was baptized think about who Saul was listen he was not a nice person he was not someone Christians would immediately uh, thought God would save he was not the poster child for the Israeli Red Cross he was not the poster child for the Middle Eastern Health Organization or the adopted child from the synagogue program or any other charity institution their world had to offer listen he hated Christians and he did all he could to see them being wiped off the face of the earth but God had a different plan aren't you so glad for that I mean, Saul was this terrible man who God changed his life. I'm reminded of uh, George Wilson in 1830. He was convicted of robbing the U.S. mail and was sentenced to be hanged. Can you imagine that? If you robbed the U.S. mail, you'd be hanged in 1830. Now you can take someone's mail and it doesn't really matter. I mean, you're not supposed to. It's a federal offense, but what does that mean anymore in our culture? But 1830, almost 200, uh, 200 years ago, you'd be hanged for it. I think that's astonishing in itself, but President Andrew Jackson issued a pardon for Wilson, but Wilson refused to accept it. 
So the matter went before the Chief Justice, John Marshall, who concluded that Wilson would have to be executed. Here's the quote. A pardon is a slip of paper, wrote Marshall, the value of which is determined by the acceptance of the person to be pardoned. If it is refused, it is no pardon. George Wilson must be hanged. For some, news of the pardon comes too late, but for others, the pardon is not accepted. When you think about the, the Apostle Paul, who was once Saul, God said, I have done everything to pardon you, but you have to accept my son as your Savior. And Saul was faced with a choice in his life, whether he would accept that gift or not, and he did. And so Saul was pardoned. He was a persecutor that should have deserved a terrible judgment in hell for all time, right? So should you. But just as Saul received a pardon, so did you, if you're saved here tonight. And I'm thankful for that. Listen, I mean, I, I was religious, but I did terrible things as a religious person. But God pardoned me from my sin. He, he wrote, uh, a, 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 for lack of a better way, he wrote a letter and said, Jackie's sin is no more. Why? Because Jesus died for my sins. He paid for my sins on the cross of Calvary. And I accepted that payment for my sins. Just as a judge today would stand in the courtroom and a murderer would be brought before him and the charges would be brought before him and say, this man murdered somebody and we have the evidence and the proof, a just judge would say, you're guilty and you must face the punishment. An unjust judge would say, oh, well, that's okay. Uh, not guilty. <laughs> Court adjourned. We would all think, you're crazy. Wouldn't we? I mean, that's... Absolutely nuts. This man murdered somebody. They have video evidence. They have audio. They have all of the types of, uh, of DNA that you could possibly ever want in the trial. Everything. It's a closed case, and you're letting him off? What kind of judge are you? And often our world says, what kind of God would send people to hell? A just one. We all deserve it. God's not going to force us to be in his heaven with him. What kind of God would he be if, if he said, I want to force you to love me? Aren't you glad that our God is one that says, I want you to choose to love me. I've used this illustration often, but man, I, uh, I've wondered, you know, uh, could you imagine if I went to my wife when she came to our church and said, I just want to let you know that you're going to love me and you don't have a choice in it and we're going to get married and you will love me and you're going to spend the rest of your life with me? So suck it up. I mean, it's tough luck. You know, you're just, it's the way it is. You'd all be like, you're, you're a jerk. I mean, like, no way. Run as fast as you can, Brittany. This guy is weird. That's what we would think, right? But sometimes we, we think of God and we say, oh God, how would you send somebody to hell? Because we deserve it. But you know what? You know why one of the, reasons, one of the many millions of reasons why heaven's going to be wonderful? Because we're going to be with the God that we love. That did so much for us that all we want to do will worship Him for eternity. He deserves it. He deserves everything in our life. And Saul was this wicked persecutor, but then he was pardoned. And then lastly this evening... Starting in verse number 19, we find that Saul was now a preacher. I mean, this same Saul, could you imagine if, if Pastor had invited Osama bin Laden here tonight, if he was alive? I need to figure out somebody else that's alive that's really evil, but he's just, he's it for me. Maybe because I was in the military and I just think that way. Could you imagine if Pastor was like, all right, this morning, so glad you all came. I got a, I got a surprise for you guys. Osama bin Laden's here. Uh, Brother Osama bin Laden, come on up here. Come on up here, and you're all looking at him like you're looking at me right now. Man, this guy's crazy. Like, what in the world? Pastor, 18 years? It's going to end this week before 18 years. 
Brother Osama, seriously? I mean, really, that was the change that God had made in Saul's life. Ananias, whom Jesus came to in a a vision, even said, isn't this the one that's been persecuting the church? I mean, are you sure, God? You know, we ask those questions. God, are you sure you want me to do that? And Jesus said, yeah, I've got got a job for him. He's going to suffer a lot for me. And we find here that Ananias does do what God says. He goes and and he goes and says, Brother Saul. We find later on that who else does that? Barnabas did. Barnabas vouched for Saul, who was then Paul. After he had been saved, Barnabas comes and says, Hey, come meet Brother Paul. And some of the people were still a little bit nervous, weren't they? I mean, they were scared. I mean, we would be. The guy that was the one that was having people arrested and taken to prison and maybe possibly even killed. Now, supposedly, oh yeah, supposedly he got saved. Boy, this is a good trick to get us all to go to prison. I mean, man, this is a new, a new way. You know, this ain't going to get out on YouTube for a while. And so this is a new way we can get a lot of these Christian people to go to prison. I mean, word would have gotten around and people were still afraid, but Paul proved himself over time. And I'm so thankful for people in the ministry and other believers that, that are willing to come alongside of new believers and do everything they can to see that new believer succeed. Because you know what, Christian, if we're not careful, sometimes we'll hear so-and-so got saved or we'll see that so-and-so got saved and we'll kind of have that. We'll see. You know, you've thought it. You know how I know you thought it? Because I thought it too. There have been some people that, that came and said they got saved and I was like, eh, maybe. We'll see. Shame on me. I'm thankful I don't think that anymore. Now I think, man, how can I help that person? Why? Because we need to, as believers, help other believers grow in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the beauty of church. As Pastor mentioned, it's not this building, even though you guys have a wonderful facility. It's not the facility that makes the church. It's the people. It's the people of God inside this building. Where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. And so tonight, God is here. Not because of this place, although it's wonderful. He's here because we as believers are joined together for the same purpose and the same cause. And here Saul was a persecutor. Look at verse number 19. Let's look there tonight. And when he had received meat, he was strengthened. Then was Saul certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus, and straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hang on a second. Same guy? Yeah. And straightway he preached in the synagogue, there, verse number 20, verse 21, but all that heard him were amazed and said, Is not this he that destroyed them, which called on this name in Jerusalem, and came hither for that intent that he might bring them bound to the chief priests? But Saul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proving that this is very Christ. And after that many days were fulfilled, the Jews took counsel to kill him. I mean, what else do you do? If you don't like somebody, the Jews are just like, we're going to kill him. That's what they did. I mean, that's what they were, that was their desire. Jesus, I don't like what he's preaching. Let's kill him. Paul, I don't like what he's preaching. I mean, he was on our side, but now he's a traitor, and let's just kill him. Okay, verse 24. But their laying awake was known of Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and led him down by the wall in a basket. And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself uh, <clears throat> to the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. And so Paul, Saul is led down in this basket and he, he tries to go to the disciples and they're like, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, we're still afraid of this guy. We don't really believe you. I mean, that's what the Bible says, doesn't it? 
They didn't believe he was a disciple, but verse 27, Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. And he was with them coming in and going out at Jerusalem. And he spake boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Grecians. But they went about to slay him, which when the brethren knew, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him forth to Tarsus. Then had, then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria and were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Ghost were multiplied. The very same Saul that was threatening, beating, and probably possibly even killing Christians was, not preaching the very, was now preaching the very same message of those he had been tormenting. You see, that's the power of salvation that God can bring into a life. Saul was really nothing special. He was simply saved by God's grace and then was willing to be used by God to, be, to preach the gospel to others. Christian, are you powerless tonight? Do you seem to have nothing left to give? Do you seem to not have anything to begin with? Uh, maybe when is the last time I could ask this question that you could check under the hood of your heart to make sure there are no loose connections or uh, so many times in our Christian lives we spend doing things in the most difficult way not getting the results that we want or seeing things that get done like we need to when all along we just simply had a loose connection with our power source God the Father Christian can I ask how's your devotional life how is your prayer life is it old and gunked up with life is there corrosion in your life that's eating away at the power of the gospel in your heart? You see, I'm convinced tonight that God wants to use every believer. But every believer has to come to him for the repair and the help to serve him in the way that he wants. D.L. Moody said it this way, If God's today be too soon for thy repentance, thy tomorrow may be too late for God's acceptance. You know, if our greatest need had been information, God would have sent an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was forgiveness, and so God sent us a Savior. So where do you fall in the message tonight? Are you a persecutor? Are you still rejecting God's only Son and what He did for you, or have you been pardoned? And as your Christian life began and ended with your salvation, that is, you accepted Christ as your Savior, and then you just have set back, and you haven't done really anything for the Lord. Maybe not much growth has taken place, and you're still an infant spiritually. If you've been pardoned, are you preaching, believer, so that others may be pardoned as well? What is your life showing? Do people notice the difference? Are you satisfied with where you are in your Christian journey to the finish line of heaven. You see, in 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15, the Bible says that for the love of Christ constraineth us because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. You see, in this book that we call the Bible and we call it God's word because it is, it has every answer that we need for life. The Bible is clear then, Peter, that this book contains everything that we need for life and godliness. That's a powerful statement. And as we think about what this book is and what it means to us, this is God's love letter to mankind of what He has done since before even creation when God was, before there was anything. In the beginning, God. Till the end of time, as we know it, and we'll be within eternity with Him for. Uh, forever and ever and ever 
God has chosen to give us this word, these pages, to help us in our spiritual life about Christian. Let me ask you a question. Is it affecting you so that you can tell others about Christ as well? One of the saddest things, I think, in a Christian's life is when we're so comfortable with being a Christian that we don't share it with others. And we can all get to that place. The reason we're coming here to California is because we found a place that needed the gospel. But you know what? There's thousands upon thousands of places throughout our country alone and throughout the whole world that need the gospel. There are people all over this city, which is far larger than Big Bear will probably ever be, that need the gospel. And you'll meet way more than I ever will down here because you live here. I'm going to meet people up in Big Bear that you may never know. Why? Because our circles of influence are different. The job for each believer is this. We must tell those that we come in contact with. Those that that God gives us that says, hey, I want you to go witness to somebody. You know what? Many times if we're not careful, we'll kind of make excuses, won't we? I know that because I've done that too. Well, God, I'm just too busy. I mean, I gotta get this, I gotta get this, uh, I gotta get this stuff from the store and get it back to my wife so she can cook dinner. Well, I want you to witness to this person. I want you to tell them about me. Well, God, I, I, I got to get to this church for this meeting. I mean, I'm doing a good thing, right? I mean, we're, we're going on deputation. We're finishing it. Lord, I, I got to get to this meeting. I, Lord, I got I to gotta get this ready for our services. Or I got to do this and I got to do that. And God says, oh, hang on a second. I want you to take two minutes to give the gospel to this person. I want you to give this person a tract. And we make all the excuses in the world. But listen, what if somebody made an excuse when it was their turn to share it with you? Uh, God has... Uh, convicted me and continued to convict me of my need to tell others about Christ more and more. Why? Because if I'm selfish with the gospel, there may be people that may never get to heaven because they didn't hear because I never told them. It should be personal. The gospel should be very personal to each of us as believers that it's our responsibility to tell others about Christ. Why? Because the power of salvation is amazing. Think about who you were before you were saved. I know who I was. You would have looked at me and said, he looks just like he does today. I mean, he's probably a good person, goes to church, sings in church, and he's good with his family, doesn't swear, doesn't drink alcohol, doesn't smoke cigarettes, doesn't... Who cares? I didn't know Christ. I was on my way to hell. And there were times in Iraq when I could have been there very quickly. And I'm thankful that my God saved me, and He did not let me die over there or anywhere else. And when God saved me at 27 years old... That night in September, I'm so thankful for that because I look back and I think, God, my life could have ended so many times before that, but you held me and you kept me and you preserved me until that day when I got saved so that I could not have to go to hell. What a gracious, loving, long-suffering God. I deserve hell just as much as anybody else, but God saved me. And I'm thankful for that. And we must tell others. Listen, how many, can I ask you this question with a raised hand? It's not an embarrassing one. How many of you accepted Christ as your Savior the very first time you ever heard the gospel? Anybody? One person. You may have been telling somebody about Christ for weeks and months and years and praying for them to be saved. Listen, do not quit. Most people do not get saved the first time they hear the gospel. That's been my experience whenever I've asked that question. It's usually at most two or three hands, no matter the size auditorium. Why? Because sometimes it takes a lot to get through our hard heads, doesn't it? 
And people need to hear the gospel over and over and over again. And some circumstance needs to come in their life where they get to the end of themselves and say, I need God. And so please, can I encourage you tonight, as I'm encouraging even myself, to tell others about Christ because God has the power to change their life and everything about them, and everything about their family. And God may, like Saul, change a world around that person that gets saved. You know, you've heard the, uh, the statement often made, what if uh, uh, Albert Einstein's mother had aborted him? What would we have done as a country? What if so-and-so, and fill in the blank of some famous person that has done something great for society, maybe that has saved many lives uh, physically or, or done something that's helped our culture in some way. And they thought, and you, the statement's made, what if so-and-so, uh, parents uh, had an abortion? That person would have never been around and that thing would have never come about. Listen, is it not more important that we ask ourselves the question, what if you and you and you and I never tell so-and-so about Christ? What are we missing out on as a world? You see, we have the greatest power this world has ever known through the gospel of Jesus Christ and have the ability to see people's lives change from the inside out. You know what our culture needs? It doesn't need more politicians. Listen, I, we, we did a lot in our, in our North Carolina, and I plan on getting involved here in California politically with, with just trying to pray and encourage those to do make right choices and, and all those things. And I'm telling you, we spent hours at our capital in North Carolina trying to do that and saw God do some amazing things. But I'm telling you, I'm not looking to uh, politicians up in Sacramento or in Raleigh or in Washington, D.C. Uh, for the answers to solve our country's problems. You know why? Because they can't. The only one that can is this God right here. That's why we're going to Big Bear. They need the gospel. They need the gospel of Jesus Christ, and God can change them. I'm convinced. I, I'm praying and longing for a day that there is a lighthouse up there, Big Bear Baptist Church that is preaching the gospel, and people can get saved. And man, I, I just long for the day when we can see people sent out of that church all over the world. I don't know if I'll get to see it in my lifetime, and I really don't care. I want God to use us, and I want God to use you here. Why? Because if we as believers would get a hold of the fact that God's uh, salvation is changing a person from the inside out and can do what none of us can do, and then we start telling others about the gospel of Jesus Christ, it really can change our world. I mean, didn't it do it in Acts? The Bible says they turned the world what? Upside down. Why? Because they went everywhere preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's our job. But if we're not careful, you know what will happen, Christian? We'll get in the lazy boy of Christian life, won't we? Now, I love recliners. You can ask my family. Oh, man, they're nice. Why? Because you can just rest in them. Oh, man, this is good. Some of you should probably do this. Some of you are thinking about it. You know, as Christians, if we're not careful, that's how we'll be. We'll kick back and thank you, God, for saving me. I served you for 22 years, my Christian life, and I'm, I'm ready for you to take me home. I'm done. Oh, get involved. Ask pastor how you can do something here at church. Listen, you can at least pray, but you can certainly go. Take some tracks. Tell people about Christ. This ought to, be, ought to be the encouragement of every believer to get involved in the gospel. Why? Because we only have a short time to do it. And once our life is over, we'll stand before him. And what we did in this life from the time we were saved until the time we meet God is what we'll have to offer him one day. I hope I have so much to give him. The Bible tells us that we'll be rewarded 
And then, then we'll have a moment to give those things back to him. You ever thought what that'll look like? I, I, he deserves so much. I hope I have so much to give him. But it's all going to be determined by what I have done since I was 27 until he takes me home. My pastor often says this statement. We have the shortest amount of time of our existence to determine what happens in the longest amount of our existence. That is, through salvation, and then after salvation as believers, whether or not we'll have crowns of righteousness and crowns that we can give to our Jesus and cast at his feet. Why? Because he deserves it all. Oh, Christian, don't forget about the power of salvation. May you always be reminded of what God did in your life so that it will drive you or cause you to remember that so that it will help you to tell others about Christ. And if we do that, I'm convinced, listen, not only can I, do I believe that Banning can change, but Big Bear can be changed for God. California can be changed. Uh, listen, this is what I'm praying for. I think California has the great opportunity to become the, the center point, the focal point of revival in our country. I'm telling you that the East, when it comes to North Carolina and places that we have been, and I'm telling you, it's, it's so religious. I just think there's just, there's so much hardness there. I want to see it right here. I wanted to see it in North Carolina too, and I prayed for revival. But listen, revival is a something that happens in a believer's life. Salvation is what takes place in someone who's never been revived. We need to see people born again. And saved by the grace of God. And I'm telling you, man, this country can once again become a beacon of hope. I'm convinced of it. And I think it can start right here in California. I think we're ripe for it. Our country is ripe for it. The question is, are we going to be willing to go and tell others about Christ? Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for the great attention of these dear people. Lord, I pray that you would work in all of our lives. Lord, help us to remember who we were before we were saved. Lord, it doesn't matter if we were saved at three or four or five years old and we really hadn't done any terribly wicked things. Lord, one sin was sending us to hell. We're sinners born, born that way. And so, Lord, I, I, I thank you that you saved me. Lord, I, I would love to hear the testimonies of each person here tonight, but you know them. And Lord, I pray you'd help remind each of us of, of who we were before we were saved. And Lord, may it uh, uh, draw us or cause us to want to tell others about Christ so that they can experience the change in their life as we have experienced in ours. Lord, certainly if there's someone here tonight uh, in this place or watching online that does not know your son Jesus as their Savior, would you help them to be saved tonight? Lord, it's the greatest decision you know that I have ever made in my life. And I, I know it'll be the greatest decision they will ever make in their life, not because of me, but because of what you have done for them, and you promise that uh, they'll have things beyond they could ever imagine. Heaven really is just one. But Lord, a personal relationship with you and so many other things, the power, to, uh, to, uh, the power over sin and death and hell and the grave. And Lord, I, so I just pray that tonight you'd help them to understand their need for Christ and be saved because it's very simple, you tell us. They must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and they shall be saved. For the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Lord, may they confess with their mouth what they believe in their heart. Lord, may they believe in their heart that you have raised Jesus from the dead, as your word says. Lord, there's so many things. There's uh, nothing good that they can do. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 2.8.9, For by grace are you saved through faith, 
but not of yourselves as the gifts of God, not of, not of works, lest any man should boast. And Lord, help them understand tonight that they can't earn heaven, but they can accept you and your son and what he has done for them, and they can be saved as a part of your free gift. And so thank you so much for your love for us. May you do a work that only, can, only you can in each of our lives. For it's in Christ's name we ask. Amen. With every head bowed and eye closed, would you please stand to your feet as Laura plays a hymn of invitation tonight? And I'll turn the invitation over to Pastor in just a moment. But if you need to be saved, would you just come? Someone will take you from God's Word and show you how you can be saved, how you can know for sure that you'll be in heaven one day. Christian, how are you doing with your life of witness and testimony? Would you take a few moments tonight and ask God to give you the courage and the boldness to tell someone about Christ this week? Just ask Him for one. I believe He'll do it. The Bible says that He's a good Father and He wants to give us good gifts. Don't you think our Heavenly Father, if we asked for an opportunity to witness to somebody, would give it to us? I mean, the Bible does say very clearly that He's willing that all should come to repentance, that none should perish. He, he sent His Son to die on the cross so that everyone could be saved. So you ask Him tonight, God, would you help me to witness to somebody? Would you give me the words to say? Would you recall to my mind the verses? Would you help me have the courage to hand this person a tract when you lay it on my heart? Help me not to make an excuse. Could you imagine if all of us did that this week and one came back saved next week or five or ten? Man, if Christians all over this country would do that every week, including myself, what would our country look like in a year? I believe it would be turned upside down for the Lord. You pray and deal with God however you see fit. Pastor, as he comes to finish the invitation, I hope that the message has been a help. Father in heaven, we thank you for your blessings to us. God, I thank you for the Mountain Avenue Baptist Church. 60 years this September is our anniversary. This church has been here in this community giving the gospel the power to change lives. Oh God, thank you. Thank you for those that have been faithful in the past. And Lord, we, we've just gone through this pandemic where people are just afraid to talk to people or maybe give something to somebody. But God, help us to get back to it. Guide us, God. We love you now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Think about it, church. I'm listening to them and I'm thinking, man, the power of the gospel. You see, the gospel track, in that track there's power. That, that, those words can save a soul, can turn a life around and change them. Let's not limit God. We limit God by not giving it out. God press impresses upon your heart to talk to somebody, talk to them. Talk to them. Get back to where you once were when it comes to soul winning and evangelizing. See, we're just limiting it. It's not us that does it. We only limit it because we don't give it. God does the changing. I was thinking about our, our Christian day school. It's school, school's half over a year. You have those kids in your class. I was talking to a nurse 
She's going to take extra classes because she wants to learn nutrition. She wants to help people. This is what she said. I want to help people from getting sick. Help them to eat right when they're younger. Help them to have the right diet and the right balance. So that they don't have, maybe they don't have to experience disease, heart disease, and the different problems when they get older. And I was thinking about those little students, those kindergartners, preschool, kindergarten, all the way up through high school. You see, teacher, you can keep them. Win them to Christ. Teach them what's right. Keep them from getting into drugs or alcohol or sin. Things they shouldn't. Help them to make good choices by putting the word of God in their heart. And winning their moms and dads to Christ. We don't want to limit that. We got 400 people that are going to be kids that are going to be dropped off here tomorrow. Let's be a witness to them. Don't give up on them. And uh, let's not limit God. We have a wonderful place here, a Christian school. Let's not limit Him in the gospel because we don't give it and give them the opportunity and their families. What a great place to serve God. Pray for our missionaries. Pray for these folks. If you guys want to go ahead and head to the back there, be sure and stop by, pick up one of their prayer cards, let them know you're praying. The offering plates from the back there if you'd like to give a, uh, a gift towards uh, love offering, be sure and do that, all right? Thank you so much for being here. It's been good to be in the house of God, and uh, we, we, it's been a busy time. It's always busy here at Mountain Avenue Baptist Church and the ministries we have going here. And uh, thank you for participating. Thank you for uh, all that you do to minister to people. And uh, ministering to a, another believer encourages them so that they in, can encourage somebody else so that they can give out the gospel. So thank you so much. Uh, let's bow our heads and be dismissed in prayer. And uh, Brother Carl, if you would... Uh, um, lift up your voice there and close us in prayer. Thank you.